Welcome to the St George's Leeds Sermon Podcast. We hope you enjoy the talk. Well, hey, St George's, it's good to be uh, with you. First time to be here actually speaking, although I've been here for conferences and other events. And Julie, a little confession, I secretly hoped that I would get invited to speak uh, when you got sent out, and I know the date kind of got pushed back. So when Lizzie uh, texted me and said, could you come at short notice and could you do this, just this one service, I was, I was delighted. So it's an absolute pleasure to be here today and to talk a little bit about church planting, which, uh, as Lizzie said, is kind of my, it's my happy place. It's, it's, it's the thing I love talking about, it's the thing I love thinking about, it's the passion, it's the thing that gets me out of bed in the morning. I think one of my favorite definitions of church planting is the simple phrase, evangelism in community. A simple but powerful description of the coming together of of the mission of God and the people of God to form a local expression of God's wonderful worldwide church. Now we'll come back to the passage we just heard Um, in a minute. But first, I think it's worth reminding us, as we said already, that church planting isn't something that's new. Some of the terminology is new. Some of the phraseology has come from America. It can give us a bit of a feel that sort of maybe it's just a passing fad or, you know, it's just a, a certain kind of thing. But actually, it runs deep into the ancient roots of the church. It's part of the Christian story. It's rooted in the founders of the church and it begins with Jesus. Now one of the challenges we have in discerning Jesus' intent for starting new Christian communities is that actually he only used the word church three times, all in Matthew's uh, gospel. Uh, And so he, he spoke mostly about the kingdom of God. He spoke about um, the people of God. He told stories about how people might find God, but he sort of pointed us in the direction of the church of God that would come as a result of his mission and ministry on the earth. We know that Jesus called followers, people to follow him. He established communities of the faithful, of of fellowship. He sent people out to extend the work that he'd been doing so that they would go and sow the kingdom message. And it sort of takes us into that essence of church planting, which is that we go and do evangelism in community. Jesus commissions, the various commissions that he gave to his disciples that we sort of inherit through our faith in him were all essentially calls to do evangelism in community, to plant churches. So for example, the Great Commission is a directive from Jesus to go and make disciples of every people group. It includes baptism, it includes passing on of the tradition and the teaching that we've received. And these are all activities that require some kind of ongoing community. It requires a a company of people who are together in heart and purpose, pursuing those things that God has got to them. Because you can never truly think about mission separated from the community and the people 
of God. And so that's Jesus. Then we have Peter, to whom Jesus said, I will build my church. And then he said to Peter, and I'll give you the keys of the authority of the kingdom of heaven. Peter was a a key participant in the early move of church planting that came from the resurrection of Jesus. So, for example, it was his sermon on Pentecost Sunday that gave birth to the first church, the church in Jerusalem. And although there were lots of gaps in what we know about what Peter did with his mission and ministry, the book of Acts sort of jumps between Peter and Paul, he kind of maps out some of the things he does. For example, at the beginning of his book, 1 Peter, 1 Peter 1, 1, where he identifies himself as the apostle to all the displaced people in the five regions of Asia Minor. One of the early historians of the church, Eusebius, believes that Peter went on a long, extended, many-year missionary journey, like the ones that Paul had, but Peter's was longer. It began after the the council of Jerusalem in Acts 15 and eventually took him to Rome, where we think he was martyred. Peter was a key person in leading the church into church planting. And then, of course, Paul, who also ended his ministry um, in Rome. He's the author of that reading that we've just heard. And he founded many churches in his lifetime. His pattern was to go and speak about Jesus. He would mature those who responded. He'd strengthen and encourage the new disciples. He would commission local leaders to to carry on the work that he was doing so he could move to the next place. And he would return and call out missionaries, the next group of people who would be sent to the next place to take the message for Jesus. And although we only know that he directly planted something between 14 to 20 churches, ones that are explicitly named and mentioned in scripture. His title in Romans, Apostle to the Gentiles, or it could be translated, Apostle to the Nations, infers that he was the figurehead of a massive movement of mission and the planting of the churches that we know were established in that period, uh, um, in that era. So in that passage that we just had um, read to us, I was looking around for somebody to come up. I was a bit surprised to see it on the video, but, you know, it's all good fun. Um, in, In that passage that we heard, Paul kind of accidentally gives us a charter for church planting. I say accidentally because chapter 3 of 1 Corinthians is really Paul trying to help this Corinthian church, which is both enthusiastic but also a bit immature. He's trying to not uh, idealize Christian leaders, to not sort of be, be the kind of people who are sort of fighting over, you know, who's the best Christian superhero? You know, I follow Apollos. No, I follow Paul, or even worse, I follow Jesus himself. You know, they're sort of picking their favorite mascot, the one that they'll follow. And he's trying to say to them, the people that serve God aren't of particular importance because it's God who uses them and it's God who ultimately does the work. It's God that gives the blessing. 
But in, in this passage that we, we had read to us, I think Paul sort of accidentally tells us quite a lot about church planting. And I'd like to pick out some of those thoughts. If you're following, I've got three big lessons, okay? So you can track when I'm going to end. Lesson one. There are no heroes or heroines in church planting, only faithful saints and a generous God. Paul's trying to tell the Corinthians, it's really important that you understand it's God that uses people, but it's God that does the work. It's folly to put our trust in a, in sort of, you know, we've got some amazing, super skilled person, and if they alone are involved, then it will all work. It's the wrong understanding of Christian ministry. And he paints just an ever so simple pattern of church planting, actually one that's been followed through, through the centuries since that time. He says, I plant seeds and Apollos waters. Hey, that's pretty easy to understand. You don't really need to buy a book to understand that strategy or that methodology. One person plants, another person waters. One person puts the seeds of evangelism out, another person nurtures the community that merges. And as far as we know from studying Paul, when he talks about planting, what he's saying is, what I do is I go and speak about Jesus. That's what the word planting means for Paul. He plants seeds of the gospel, of talking about Jesus. He sort of scatters it like the farmer at large to see what will grow. He's like a wise farmer. He kind of, he understands, you know, what might grow where, when is a good season, when is a good time to plant something. All those stories that Jesus is so rich in, in the, in the Gospels, when he's trying to describe how God works and he's saying it's, it's like a farmer, it's like seed, it's like watering, it's like harvesting. Paul's following that teaching. He's caught up in that era and he's saying, this is how I do my ministry. I plant seeds of the gospel. We know when he went to Jewish places, he would often go to the synagogue and speak first to the religious. When he went to Gentile cities where they weren't Jewish, he would find the commonplace, the meeting place, the, you know, the coffee shop or the market square, and he would see whoever's there, and he would talk to them about his thoughts about Jesus. And Apollos, his traveling companion, waters the seeds. I think Apollos must have been the kind of person that you would definitely want leading a small group on an alpha course. I get the feel that he's like, he's a nice guy. Kind of person you want to hang out with. Paul, I think, was a bit difficult. I mean, once somebody fell asleep listening to his sermon, so like, clever but tricky, you know. Paul was a bit feisty in some of his letters, a bit argumentative. I think he might have been a bit of a difficult guy, really good at his job, but, you know, maybe not so great in a small group. Apollos is brilliant in a small group. He's the kind of guy that would just answer questions nicely, pray for you, just be really encouraging. He'd be reliable. He would actually turn up every Wednesday at 7.30 and be there, and you'd feel like, oh, Apollos, it's just like, I feel like he's just watering my soul. He's just encouraging the seeds of the gospel to, to flourish in my life and find their way. 
And it kind of hints that church planting is a team activity. And I don't think that's an exhaustive list, like you just need two people and you can plant a church. I mean, you probably could with two people. But I think it says lots of people can be involved in lots of different ways. Paul is good at getting things started. Apollos is good at nurturing. Paul was probably not good at what Apollos did. Apollos was probably not good at Paul did. But it didn't matter because they worked together as a team. They understood that God had given different people different gifts. And they also knew that ultimately it was God that gave the increase. Let me add a little reality pill about people, though. Church planting can be quite costly. I know, Julie, you've, you've had some of that frustration. It's been off, it's been on. You can talk about it, you can't talk about it. Maybe it's going to happen, maybe it's not. There's some frustration that's there. Uh, like in Acts 14, when Paul's telling the elders, I think in Antioch, he's saying, sometimes we go through lots of hardships to step into the kingdom of God. And church planting teams often face lots of pressure. Higher instances of burnout or dropouts or substance abuse, even moral failure, even apostasy. It's not a happy list. It can be hard work sometimes to put yourself on the pioneering edge of of what's happening in God's kingdom. And as we'll hear in a minute, history records that both Peter and Paul, such advocates of church planting, both eventually martyred and died because of their commitment to serve Jesus in this way. The picture that's coming up on the screen is an engraving by an Italian artist, and it's sort of... um, Oh, there we are. It's sort of a, a medieval recruiting poster for church planting. Um, It's in Latin. I don't speak Latin, but Google does, so I'll translate it for you. The title at the top reads, They planted the church with their blood. That phrase actually is really early from the church as a piece of weekly liturgy. That maybe in the third century, we think, when the church gathered on Sunday, they said the words together, and the church is planted by the blood of those who were sent. Imagine the perspective they had on the pioneering work of God, that they said that every week to remind themselves of some of their Christian identity. And then uh, uh, underneath it says, um, Nero persecutes the church of God. It says, Peter, prince of the apostles, is affixed to the cross and Paul is smitten with an axe. It's, it's gruesome stuff, okay? You know, you, would, you, would, you'd give, you wouldn't give this a, a PG rating. It's testimony that actually sometimes the pioneering mission of God is costly work for people. No surprise that in the next chapter of Corinthians, Paul says this. He says, I think God has exhibited us church planters as the last of all as though sentenced to death because we've become a spectacle to the world, to angels, to mortals. We are fools for the sake of Christ. We are weak in disrepute. To the present hour, we are hungry and thirsty. We are poorly clothed and beaten and homeless, and we grow weary from the work of our own hands. 
we have become like the rubbish of the world, the dregs of all things. Actually, I can almost see some of the team saying, could I withdraw my application? Uh, could, I, could I join another team, a happy team, that's promised a good outcome? A sobering reminder that those that have gone before us have often advanced God's kingdom at great personal cost. The second lesson is this. Jesus Christ is the foundation of the church. Simple. I once attended a conference in Florida on church planting, and I went to a seminar titled Next Steps for Planting a Church. I was interested to know what what take they would have in this conference on the steps to plant a church, what would be important. The speaker began and he said, uh, the first thing you need to sort out when you're church planting is a really good car park. Then he said, you need to hire professional musicians. And what you get them to do before the service, they play a song that's popular on the radio so that everyone knows you are really relevant to their lives. Then he went on to explain that you need a really good Instagram account and a really a memorable Twitter handle. You need to get the right um, apps and you need to... Um, uh, uh, you know, employ the tech people to get all those things right. And, and at that point, he kind of he lost me. I wondered if he was even on commission for some of the things that he was recommending. And as helpful as some of those things might be, none of them are foundations of the church. It's possible to plant a church without special parking and technology, slick social media, apps, rock concerts, skinny jeans and worship leaders dressed like lumberjacks. These are not the foundations of the church of Jesus Christ. Some of them might be helpful in the process of doing it. But Paul says this, like a wise master builder, I laid a foundation, and that foundation is Jesus Christ. Other things can dazzle, but maybe distract They might be shallow, some are short-lived. Maybe they're not even necessary. Sometimes nice buildings like this one or amazing cathedrals with even churches with impressive spires or beautiful stained glass window and ornate furniture, all these things can sort of push our thinking into thinking. We kind of need those things to plant a church. If we have those things, then it would definitely go well. But most of history has not believed that. They've rested firmly on the foundation of Jesus Christ alone. I've got a friend from South Africa, and when I first met him, I was told that he'd planted 82,000 churches. He was a fellow student. The college where we were studying had hired a private investigator to check that claim, because it did sound quite large. And the conclusion was, it's, it's about right, you know, give or take a few. 82,000 churches. He'd had a dream once, and in the dream, Jesus said, start new churches in villages across Africa. So he gave up his job and he started doing it. His model was really simple. They would go into the village and sing. They would find the place where people met. When the crowd gathered, they would read Mark's gospel. They would talk about Jesus, they would pray for people, and they would come back the next day and repeat. After a few days or a few weeks, 
They would ask who wanted to begin to follow Jesus. They would baptize them, and they would start to train people up. He said many of the people they worked with weren't literate. They, they had the most basic farming jobs. So one of the key works they did was to teach them to memorize Mark's gospel. He said to me, Christian, when they know a third of Mark's gospel, they're good to go. And their expectation was that within three months, the plant would be sending people to the next place. You can see how they got to 82,000. And he died last year. By the time, uh, by the time I spoke to him last, they were up to 96,000 churches. You might think, oh, they sound simple, small churches. None of them are really bigger than 50 people. But if you, however you add the numbers up, you get to something like four or five million people who were following Jesus just because of a simple act of obedience, building something on the simple foundations of Jesus. Friends, so much of the world has been evangelized just by faithfulness with the time-honored beliefs of who Jesus is. And often that's been done in creative spaces, in a police station or a, a school room, in a tin tabernacle, in somebody's home, maybe meeting under a tree or in a coffee shop or a, a marketplace. It doesn't require any of those other things which can be very helpful but are not the foundations of the church. It's Jesus Christ seeking after him, praying to him, learning about him and speaking about him that's key. And the third lesson is this. The church is a temple of the Holy Spirit, a place where people can meet God. My other favorite quote about church planting is an old one from a man called Irenaeus. Irenaeus was a Greek missionary bishop to France in the second century. And in AD 180, he wrote this. He said, the church is planted like paradise in this world. Who wouldn't want that? What a vision for every local church that we bring a little bit of paradise to our neighborhood, that through the presence of our church, something of heaven breaks through into our earthly lives and people have a chance to touch God. And Paul picks that up in this reading where he talks about the church being like a living temple. The picture is really easy to imagine. The old temple was built by bricks. The new temple, he says, is assembled from people. People like you and me, we're the bricks, we're the building blocks of this temple. We are assembled together. As the church is planted, as people are added in, as, 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 as more people join and different people find their place where they know they should be in it, a building gets built into which Paul says the Holy Spirit wants to dwell so that you're not just a, a club, not just a, an ordinary assembly of people, but you're an ordinary assembly of people in which God might be found. And that somebody can come in and encounter and experience God 
because you are a living temple built together, a place where we can be filled with the Holy Spirit. And to me, that reminds us of the call to pray, that actually the effectiveness of the church, the the vibrancy of the church, that sense in which people might meet God when they gather with us, is that thing that we pursue when we pray. It's not the slickness of the presentation that moves hearts. It's the genuine encounter with the living God through people who've sought God on behalf of themselves and for others. Now let me finish with this one thing. Wasn't it fantastic to pray for the team that are going? So they're getting sent. But as Lizzie reminded us, there's actually two parts to the transaction. The send and the sent. So all of us are involved today. None of us are are passive observers. Even cheering those on that are going, all of us are being drawn into the send and the sent. Some people today are being sent, but all of us can get behind and send them. All of us can play an active role. And that's how my involvement began with church planting, accidentally. My wife and I had some good friends who said they were going to plant a church. And we, didn't have, we had no idea what that meant, but we said, oh, we'd love to support you. So we prayed for them and encouraged them. And I think we sent some money and we used to go and visit them. And we didn't realize that it was contagious. And after a year, we had caught the bug and we were signing up to go church planting again. I would love us to pray in a minute. Can the band come up? And as the band are coming up, what I'd love you to think about is this. Has God put a little seed in your heart today? When Jesus talks about the kingdom, he often likens it to the tiniest of seeds, but with the potential to grow large. So maybe God's just put a tiny seed in your heart today that's new a fresh encouragement. Maybe he's just said to you, support these people or or support that one person. Pray for them. Be their encourager. Maybe you've thought, I'd love to stay, I'd love to know what the next plant is or if we've got some support ministries that can get behind it, I'd love to be part of that. Or maybe even God, and I can remember the moment, Maybe even God's put a little seed in where you just thought, might that be me one day? And there's, there's all lots of panic that goes with it. And you think, no, it's not logical. It makes no sense. And it's not logical at all. But it's just a little seed of something that God's put in that might grow. I would love us to pray for anyone that feels any of those things today. I love the heart of this church that you want to not just let some people go. You want to be joyfully involved in this and to see it multiply what might god do today thank you for listening to the st george's lead sermon podcast for more talks or information visit stgs.org.uk